This is Inside Marketing, brought to you by Dentsu Aegis Network and Irish Times Media Solutions. First there were the bloggers, then the vloggers, and now we have influencers. Micro-influencers and nano-influencers. And lest we forget, content creators. If you are confused, don't worry, you are not alone. In a nutshell, each of the above creates content and circulates it to their followers on their chosen platform. Ireland has its fair share of influencers. For the past decade, advertising has been in a digital revolution within social media at the centre of this. People often refer to it as the Wild West when it comes to regulation, brand safety and advertising in general. And if you believe this, you may also agree that influencers are the cowboys of the unruled area. So yes, while influencer marketing is a bit shambolic, it has untapped potential if we can just get it right. We are joined by Anna Nolan, Content Partnership Specialist at the Story Lab, and Pamela Laird, CEO of Moxie Loves. Welcome to the show. Thank Thanks. You. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you guys, and I'm your host, Aid McCullen. Welcome to the show. So let's jump straight into it. You say in the article, Anna, that 47% of people make purchases based on influencer marketing, but the trust is strained, to say the least. Yeah, back in 2007, a lot of studies were saying that 70% of people trusted influencers. They've now released new stats and they're saying only 4% of people trust influencers. Now, we've seen this across all digital platforms. It seems to be an issue that's causing a lot of marketers a lot of strain. But influencer marketing is the lowest um, percentage of trust out of them all. So while influencer marketing might reach a lot of people, the consumers aren't actually trusting what they're reading. So I guess that will be a knock-on effect for your brand. So is it a case that a few bad eggs are spoiling for everyone? I think what the real problem was, when influencer marketing first came about, there was no regulations, there was no rules. So people kind of did whatever they wanted. I also feel a lot of influencers were kind of just chasing the money and they kind of forgot their consumer. They forgot what the reason why they were getting the money. They forgot how they built their audience. I think their credibility has come into question. And because there's been a few incidents along the way, it's very hard for the consumer to know who to trust and who not to trust. The Fry Festival mm -hmm. was the ultimate in trust being lost. These stories spread like wildfire and therefore people did not have any trust in influencer marketing. Yeah, and I think, I don't think the blame just lies with the influencers. I think brands, also the industry itself, should be more responsible with what they're doing. We have a tendency to kind of run before we can walk. And instead of like figuring out the best way to do something, we just do it. And we saw this as well when we first launched and started using native content. A lot of the time, native content pieces were being done with the brands in mind, and sometimes the editorial wasn't present. So I think this is a problem with the industry, that sometimes we don't do things correctly, we just try to do them quickly. One of the things that's happening here is also the marketer isn't educated, so they're following what they're told to do or you must get onto the influencer marketing it works amazingly now it can work Pamela you've seen this when you entered yeah. uh, entered into the UK in particular because I'm using that as an example because it was a marketplace you didn't understand you didn't understand who these influencers were so you had to go through an agency I'd love if you shared your story because you've seen both the good side and the bad side of influencer marketing Absolutely. And as a brand owner of a cosmetics brand, of course, influencers are integral to our marketing campaigns. And when we launch a new product, that is what we do. Um, so my story is that when we were launching into the UK, 
you know, the lead times for the magazines, a lot of the editorials were much harder to get to in time for our launch. So the quickest way was to work with influencers. So like what Anna's saying is, it was like, okay, quick, we need coverage, we need people talking. Who are the people that are, you know, doing good content? What can we work with? And I used an agency that helped me kind of source people. And I was like, yeah, love her aesthetic, love what she's like, let's go with her. And there was one post I think we'd paid two and a half thousand pounds for and it went live and nothing. Like, deadline flat no followers no engagement refusal to give us stats after the post was a real life lesson I thought okay and then at the time social blade which I hadn't heard of you know beforehand I was able to look it up and see the pattern of her following how on certain days a good few thousand would come in and, and you can kind of put two and two together and realize that some of those followers had to be purchased and the engagement wasn't there and I didn't do my research so that is the bad side of the industry and and obviously a life lesson for me and it is a market I didn't know and I wasn't able to do the research again like Anna saying it was time I wanted to just get out there and get my brand known and having said that on the flip side you know we get influencers talking about our products and people are engaged people want to know and it's the perfect platform for a product like mine which is quite demoable so if you see it on the shelf you might not know how it works but an influencer takes one or two stories and you're like ah wow that's genius or that's so clever and they're really important to us for kind of getting our product out there. Yeah, and you see this. I mean, the Kardashians, for example, but one of the recent ones that was in the press was Cristiano Ronaldo, and he charges 308,000 sterling per post. He makes more money from his social media than he does from his salary as a football player, which right. just shows you how much money is in it. And it's obviously working for some people because it's worked for you, right? Oh, totally. And I think, you know, sometimes you look at the charge and you think, wow, oh my gosh, how could how could you ever justify that? And actually, you can, as a brand, you can see when you pay for content. If the content is good, it's not just that person's platform and their audience, it's the reposting and, and usage of the content created by that person. So then you use it on your social channel. Then maybe in my instance, Cosmopolitan picked up an article of a UK influencer that we used. So using that influencer and paying them X amount, you don't just get their audience, you can actually reuse the content and other people pick it up. So, you know, it's kind of the value is increased if you if you choose the right person. Yeah. And one of the things that influencer marketing does is make you stand out from all the noise. People are just bombarded with ads all the time. And for you, this is a huge piece because you can make advertising stand out in a very subtle way. And this is one of the keys to influencer marketing. Yeah, it is. And that's why when you do it correct, it's a brilliant way for us to reach our audience. I think that's really important when you first start planning. As Pamela mentioned, who you choose is obviously really important. One of the main things I'd say to any brand, look at the influencer's channel. Does it resonate with your audience? Don't just choose someone who like them. Do a lot of research. If the person would naturally speak about your brand, then work with them. But choosing the biggest influencer just because their number is isn't what something that we'd ever suggest our clients do. It really has to fit with your audience, has to really resonate with them. And the person has to resonate with your brand as well. An influencer will understand their own audience, their own followers. They'll understand what works and what don't. They've done this for a very long time. And oftentimes you'll get a brand coming in trying to force their opinion and their ways of doing things upon the influencer. So you need to be prepared to relinquish control. Responsibility lies with all parties in that. The brand should understand that the influencer will know better than they do about their own audience. But the influencers, before they enter into this commercial market, should decide upon whether what's editorial and what they can sell. I think one of the main things we've seen an issue with is the influencers have gotten kind of their their loyal following based on their opinions. 
And then suddenly now they're selling their opinions. How credible is that? So I think that people really need to look at what they will and won't sell. I know when we were first launching native content, when I worked in Love and Media, one of the main things that we had to look at was what were we willing to sell and what we weren't willing to sell. Love and Media are known for like their restaurant reviews. So we knew this was a core product, but we knew this is something that we could not sell because if we did this, the brand wouldn't mean anything. I think influencers didn't do this. So this went kind of went in guns blazing and pretty much sold everything and kind of sold their soul. Now they don't really mean as much as they used to because they've kind of given away what was so great about them. But I do think some people have learned from that and there's some great influencers now that are work, reworking their brand and rebuilding the trust. But I think a lot of people are rebuilding rather than building it at first hand. And one of the things there you mentioned is marking promotional material. So it needs to be marked or it should be marked. Mm -hmm. And there's a real challenge here because I'm sure you saw this, Pamela, where mm -hmm you kind of, in a way, don't want them to market because you want it to look really natural, but at the same time, you kind of have to because of brand guidelines. Yeah, I think we've lost the run of ourselves with the marking it because I think, you know, if you are told to post something and you're given a brief and you follow through with it as an influencer, well, that's an ad. If you're sending something and it's free, does everything that's free, I mean, to the point where, you know, sometimes I'd attend an event and get a goodie bag and I might post something about it. Like that brand didn't target me and insist that I do anything. So therefore this whole gifting thing and it's, and people are a bit begrudging, I think of influencers when it comes to what they get gifted. I mean, at the end of the day, they can't buy everything. They sometimes do organic reviews on things that they like or didn't find great for themselves. And I don't think that they should be expected to purchase everything new to try it. I mean, at the end of the day, they're there to give their opinion. And just because they got it free, it doesn't always mean that they're going to say it's amazing. But if they happen to, do we have to be like hashtag gifted every time? You know what I mean? I think like, they, you know, like travel bloggers, like they get sent to places. They don't always say the place is amazing or they shouldn't. And I think that that's where we've just lost the run ourselves a bit. Oftentimes what they don't say says a lot. Yes, well. for sure. Yeah. And some of the advice you give. So to do this properly. OK, so we've talked about a lot of the challenges and the problems, but to do it right and you say you need to start with a clear set of metrics that you agree with the influencer, the brand and the influencer and the agency all agree. They're all aligned on this. And that's the starting point. Yeah. And I think the main thing there is collaboration is like sitting down with the influencer or even just cross email, deciding what you want to get out of this post. Like for some people, it might be swipe ups to their website. Other people might be engagement. And then there might be brand sentiment. All of these different kind of objectives have different ways of reaching them. So I think you need to speak with the influencers, speak with, speak with them about what's the best way to reach this objective and then sit down and make a plan. But you should always have a KPI at the end of it. Uh, I think a lot of times with marketing campaigns, sometimes we run into the, we run in and start planning away and we never really decide what we want to get out of it. So at the end of the campaign, no one knows whether it worked or not. And that, is, that has been a big problem for digital. And I think it's a big problem for influencers. If you can't honestly say something worked when it's choosing between a TV advert or using an influencer, whichever one that has the best metrics beside it will be the one that the brand manager uses again. So for influencers and influencer marketing, which is a very unique way of reaching our audience because they can actually speak about it while others can't. So, you know, TV ads are very set while influencer marketing can, can be a little bit more natural. But we need the industry to work a little bit harder to kind of show brand managers why it's worth investing in. And for that, we need a solid set of KPIs that have been met at the end of it. And from a brand perspective then, Pamela, what would you suggest for brands out there how they should approach influencer marketing? 
I think like Anna said, you've got to have KPIs. And aside from that, you've got to do your research. So looking ahead and thinking, well, you know, from my point of view as a skincare brand, who is promoting something that's not a competitor? Um, Who is aligned with what my customer is looking for? Like if they're in, we're sold in pennies, for instance. So if there's a penny shopper, you know, who always goes in and does the fashion on a Tuesday or whatever's being sold there, they're my perfect person because whoever's following them probably is a penny shopper or travel. You know, my products are travel friendly. So try and figure out what your you know your time of year now it's gifting so I'm trying to you know get it out there to makeup artists you know it's like oh look at this stocking filler that's my goal summer I'm looking for travel bloggers you know every time of the year I'm thinking what can I target it and who can do that best for me so I think definitely do your research as Anna said ahead of time that is key and then get your KPIs get what you want from it and if that person can align with you and also I find the best thing with influencers is to get the content thereafter so if it's a video if it's stories get them to send it to you so you can repost it and you can get more mileage out of that partnership. When you do post stuff it's a moment in time and it Mm -hmm. gets flushed it's in the haystack it's gone and particularly in stuff like Twitter for example or Instagram. So you need to repost. And as you said, different times of the year, different times of the day to different people becomes Mm -hmm. extremely important. Absolutely. And I think if somebody has a creative flair, that's going to go further for your brand. Like I worked with Kelly Horrigan, by example. She creates amazing video content. I can use that in my presentation when I'm talking to buyers. I can use that, you know, uh, like if I'm doing a pop-up somewhere, I can use it on my social media. That is transferable into all avenues of my business. And that is from one partnership. So there's a lot of things you can get as a small business from one partnership with an influencer. You mentioned Social Blade. There's an issue with a lot of these tools now because of GDPR. Let's discuss that because it's a real problem for people. Yeah, it's a huge issue. It used to be a way of just literally bringing up an influencer's background on social media, their day-to-day, how many followers increase, decrease, and you could really see if there was a, a disturbing pattern there or or a positive pattern. Oh, Wednesday's the day to post, you know, or that kind of thing. Uh, but now it's difficult. I don't know, Anna, have you used it? Or? I know. I think we give our kind of, the advice we give to our brands is to look at the influencer's channel and if their posts are getting in comments, that's a sign that they actually have an engaged following. If they have a huge amount of likes and no one's commenting, that's a red flag. If someone just has loads of numbers but doesn't have much engagement, there's no point using them because engagement is key in influencer marketing. It's what everyone sees. It's peer-to-peer recommendations, which we all know is what really influences purchasing habits. So engagement's key rather than likes. So I guess quality over quantity. One thing to mention is you pay two and a half grand for a Mm -hmm. post, for example, you need then to boost it as well, right? The game's not up when you get the posts paid for. It's true. So I suppose you pay the influencer for their creative content. They post it and sometimes it can be luck of the draw. You can have an amazing post a month before and then the next one, for instance, IGTV on Instagram, flopped now. Two months ago, I did it with a with an influencer. It was like 14,000 views. Same influencer, two months later, 2,000 views. So Instagram decides what they want to push. And so you are up against it sometimes. And sometimes you just have to say, look, great influencer, great post, wrong time. And, and sometimes it can be that you don't always have to walk away and go, well, that was a waste of money yeah. because it is difficult. Once you can get good content from it, repost on your own channels. And yes, you will have to boost because that's what Instagram does. <laughs> now that Facebook own it. Um, but yeah, I think getting something that that's shareable 
is key because whether if it doesn't perform as you hoped it would on that platform, you can repost it somewhere else. And this comes back to what you said about getting that content, getting yes. it sent to you from the influencer so you can use it time and time again. So guys, where well, can people find out more about your your various businesses if they want to find out more about StoryLab, if they want to find out more about Moxie Loves? Apart from obviously influencer marketing, where can they find you? Well, my business is moxieloves.com. We're on sale in pennies and I'm on LinkedIn under Pamela Laird. So yeah, happy to share advice and help to any businesses. And if you want to find out more about this, you can see Anna's article in the Irish Times. Anna Nolan, content partnership specialist at the Story Lab and Pamela Laird, CEO and founder of Moxie Loves. Thank you for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks to our partners, Irish Times Media Solutions and Dentsu Aegis Network. And thanks to our partners here in Collaborative Studio, Shane and the team. Goodbye.